Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Bob Dylan, Lupe Fiasco, Dice Raw, Rhyme Slayer's label are some of the names my next guest is associated with. She just dropped a new project, Beautiful Prison, and joins the library with Tim Heinekel in uh, Webster Hall. Uh, Nikki Jean, welcome to the library with Tim Heinekel. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So when you, the names, Irving Berlin, De La Soul, The Roots, uh, how are, you read your bio and obviously those names pop out. How has each of those artists kind of shaped you as you as an artist? Um, I'm wondering what book I was reading that, that talked about ignition. I feel like maybe it was the talent code and they talk about you know, whether it's athletes or artists or just having an experience when they're very young that makes them fall in love with or become passionate about whatever their field is going to be. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was easily Irving Berlin's 100th birthday celebration where I fell in love with songwriting and it just changed the trajectory of my life. To be a songwriter is to be immortal, you know, and... I listened to all those songs that he had written and just his amazing, really awe-inspiring story. And the songs didn't sound old. Uh, you know, a hundred, especially when you're five, a hundred is very old. Oh yeah. But the course. songs sounded new and fresh. And I was like, that's, man, that must be the greatest job ever. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, speaking of songwriting, um, you have pennies in a jar. Yes, and, we, and it's uh, features songs that are co-penned by you know Burt Bacharach, uh, Carol King, Carly Simon, Bob Dylan, big heavyweights. Um, if you think about your own writing prior to this project mm. and to now, how did, if at all, did your writing or your approach to a song change or even stay the same uh, after this pennies project? I think it is impossible for me to write 
how I did before the project. You know, they say to increase knowledge is to increase sorrow. Right. <laughs> it's like uh, before I began that journey, there was so much more I didn't know. There's, I take kind of solace in how much I still don't know. Because right. it's like, yeah, but in the world of things to know, I still know relatively nothing. So like, <laughs> that's kind of how I let myself off the hook. Like, don't use that as an excuse. You're still mostly ignorant on mostly everything. <laughs> but I learned so much through working with them about song structure, about different ways to write a song, but almost something ineffable at the same time. Uh, you step in the room with some of these people and there's just kind of a magic in the air around them and you can't teach it i think that it's almost i'm a regular meditator so i think it's almost like in some tibetan traditions where the teachings get they get passed down like physically like you have to be in the presence of the teacher to receive it and i hope that i i got some of those vibes from spending four years with some of my favorite American songwriters that have ever lived. You're not just, you know, you're not, you've not just collaborated with, uh, you know, traditional singers, so to say. You also have collaborated with hip hop artists. Indeed. Uh, you know, Lupe. Uh, Black Thought, Dice Raw. Uh, what role has hip hop played in your life uh, growing up and then continues to play as an artist? Mm. I think it's funny that the song that kind of helped catapult my career is called Hip Hop Saved My Life because, in so many ways, it really did. Um, it's also intensely meaningful for me to be out here opening for Atmosphere. Because one of the first early hip hop projects I fell in love with was God Loves Ugly. Nice. As, yeah. You know, uh, as someone who, like many teenagers, just felt completely misunderstood, just a little mixed emo girl from Minnesota, and then you have someone like Slug, who's like, God Loves Ugly. You're like, oh yeah, then, then I can be loved and I'm lovable. Um, and even if you, even if everything's all wrong, it's all right. right. And that was so powerful for me. Um, so a lot of people come up to me now and they're like, oh, hip hop saved my life. Like that song, it was there for me and this and that. And I think God Loves Ugly was my hip hop saved my life, like was my version of that. Discretion is the name of my cement feathered bird. And if you didn't hear, then fuck whatever's heard. I think you got the sickness, I suggest you get it cured. Caught up in the mix of a bottle full of fix. I'm a hobble down the street. I think that when in a career way, after Hip Hop Saved My Life came out, or even, even before that, I would go into studio sessions and I would have piano and I'd sit down and play and it just didn't, People couldn't see it. They always wanted me to be an R&B singer. They always wanted me to write on beats. They always wanted me to do this stuff. And I was always very resistant to it because I was such a fan of classical, like Americana pop songs. 
And those were the songs I wanted to write, like Carole King, like Joni Mitchell. Like that's who I felt myself as, as an artist, despite my deep love for God Loves Ugly, Commons Resurrection album, Southern Playlist, Cadillac Funky Music. I mean, 93, 94, you got to talk about Doggy Style. Like you've got The Far Side, Lab Cabin, California. Like I was more in New York, the infamous, of course. So it's like my deep love for the purple tape and <laughs> hip hop was really through my veins, but I didn't want to be pushed into that space. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, don't push me there just because I'm a black girl. Like, let me make the music I want to make. And it didn't happen for me. Uh, Pennies in a Jar was that opportunity. It was my producer, Sam Hollander's vision saying, no, but you love these writers. Let's put you in a room with these writers. Like, you're one of these writers. And we did the whole album. When Columbia heard it, they dropped me. Went to S-Curve. No one knew how to break it the album was released and I remember the reviews coming out and saying R&B princess Nikki Jean and I was like I like R&B but I just wrote a song with Bob Dylan right what makes it Mm R&B it's because I'm black and that's something I've been you know cognizant of I have so much respect for women in the industry like Mickey Guyton in Nashville who's like a black woman country singer Uh, it's sometimes difficult to step in these places and there's so many uh, women of color who make music that doesn't conform to what you expect to hear coming out of the mouth of of that person right you know and it very rarely turns into a massive success. So on on the heels of that and just the reception and that was, uh, I don't want to say the reception because it wasn't the reception. It was the realization of the realization of where you are. And I felt very devastated after Pennies in a Jar came out and what ultimately was a safe place for me was still hip hop. Even after I put out an album that was not hip hop at all, hip hop was still a safe place for me um, as it had always been for me to express myself create creatively. I want to say it was a safe place place for me creatively um because we can never say that hip-hop as a whole is a safe place for women right what do you when you mean safe place is that that is that you you yourself kind of reassuring uh that safe place or is it also people around no it was the embrace it was the warm embrace of the community uh and just being like you know what let me you know, like, let me put on this beat. Let me return to this community. Not that I had left it, but musically I had left it. Musically I'd spent four years completely like, okay, now I'm in mid 20th century because I love it here. And it was like, yeah, but it don't love you. 
And you're like, oh, that's true. Where where loves me? Right. And you step back. It, you collect yourself and you step back into a space where you're like, okay, I'm going to make... I'm going to make new music. I'm going to make a new project and just so blessed to be able to, you know, call on um, friends and kind souls who I've known and, and worked with or, or knew through acquaintance that were very helpful. So like, as I stepped back in, I was able to reach out to like 88 keys and ninth wonder and ill mind and uh, the social experiment. And on this latest project, uh, Jake one, you know, and all of them were just so generous with their time and their talents and, and their abilities. Um, blessed. Hmm. Speaking of the new project, uh, A Beautiful Prison. I hear the title and I could totally be wrong, but I also think you could also say like the gift and the curse of this art. Uh, <laughs> what is the purpose of the title? So, and one of these days I'm going to hunt down this quote, but it, I heard this quote that said, you're going to spend more time in your mind than you do anywhere else. So you should furnish it beautifully. And I feel that I have, have beautifully furnished. I've filled it with such beautiful art and beautiful people, memories. And, but no matter how beautiful a prison is, it's still a prison, you know? And the idea that so many of the obstacles and perceived challenges and hardships in our life are of our own creation and they're of our own perception. It's a perceptual creation and you can make it beautiful and melancholy, bittersweet as a lot of art is. Um, but a prison is a prison mm -hmm. and we all want to be free. Mm. Uh, the table setter of the, uh, the project is people on planes uh why why are you starting it why, why do we start off with that song i think it's very important to me even though a lot of my songs are deal with relationship and like intimate personal relationship dynamics because i think i've spent a lot of my emotional life there i actually hate that i hate that for women artists uh, when I listen to other artists, when I listen to men artists, that's not how my favorite artists, that's not how their projects go. Mm -hmm. And as a woman artist, I want to have songs on my project that are not that, you know, I want to lead with songs about the world and my perception of the world because I think about more things than like dudes. The song is great, and what, what kind of stands out is uh, you asked the question, what could go wrong? Because <laughs> uh, I'm you, a jerk. <laughs> what, what kind of answer do you want to, like, what, what's the answer? I mean, is there an answer? Well, I think, it's, I think it's kind of like, you know, if I, if I have a glass pitcher and I put it on top of my refrigerator, right sitting on the door, and then I open the freezer, it's going to fall, right? right? I'm sitting on the couch, I'm looking at it like, what could go wrong? <laughs> and to me, when you fill a space with hurt people, you're going to get more hurt people. Mm -hmm. You you fill the country with guns and frustration, 
what could possibly yeah. go wrong? Like everything, everything could go wrong. And I always say to like, ah, I hate repeating myself. I always say that, but like as humans, we repeat ourselves in tiny little micro circles and in larger scale patterns. Um, so we have school shooting after school shooting after school shooting, and we have terrorist attack after terrorist attack. And we have people, people in planes is one of those songs that is always timely because unfortunately there's just always going to be a tragedy in the human experience. But especially I think with how America handles its affairs. Right. What is that like as a, cause you, you do it with an earlier song a few years ago, hands up. Like what is it like to have kind of these two tracks that are unfortunately or fortunately, you know, unfortunately going to be relative for a while. Evergreen. Uh, yeah. Evergreen. So <laughs> this thing, evergreen right. sadness. I mean, as an artist, it's like, all right. So I feel like people are going to know who you are. Right. But at the same time, this song and the tragedy of America's, coming with coming with that song the constant reminder that we handle stuff shitty (laughs) and continue to yeah we're not the best at it but i i think that um i have a responsibility as an artist where you look at like woody guthrie who spoke truth to power his entire career um I have a responsibility as an artist, not just to stay in the confines of my mind, but to look out the window and say, this is what I see. And it's every time we write a song, it's a time capsule. There's so many writing with the songwriting masters, which I've had humbled to have had the opportunity to do. Uh, Mr. Tom Bell said there's songs are only about two things love or escape you start sitting there and listening to the songs and you just sorting them <laughs> love escape 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 love escape um, we're, we're all just kind of archaeologists you know like going back when we listen to old music and I look at myself as like leaving this is who I was and this is how I saw the world at this moment in time. So that if I'm blessed enough to have somebody listen to one of my songs 20 years from now, they can be like, hopefully, you know, we send up prayers that they can say, oh, so much has changed. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, the title track, a beautiful prison starts out and I apologize if I screw up your lyrics. Forgiven. Uh, <laughs> You're forgiven I in advance. I do, I'm known to do that. Uh, Living it might be, be better. <laughs> it might be better than what I came up with, in which case I'll be like, that is what it is. <laughs> We're going with that now. You go, living in a beautiful prison, voices in my head are inmates. Found out I lost my religion. You can't be faithful without faith. Can you just talk about these lyrics and kind of the purpose of the track? Indeed, since you've now rewritten it. No, yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is what I intended. <laughs> um, beautiful prison. So that's really like my my thoughts and my feelings which we don't get to um we don't get to learn about in school 
They'll teach you how to add. They'll teach you how to read. Um, we will go on YouTube and we will learn how to do like a great smoky eye. But we don't really invest in the skill of managing our, our thoughts and our feelings, which is something that can be applied in every area of our life. But it didn't even occur to me to begin learning how to do it until like the last several years where I was like, hmm, I could get a handle on this very useful skill. Um, I think we all have voices in our head, not all crazy, like uh, pathological mm-hmm. voices, not in that way, but like, oh, I should do this or I should do that. Or definitely feelings of self-judgment, self-doubt. Uh, humans have a negativity bias. We have patterns of thought. Only some of them helpful, most of them not. And all of us want to feel better. So as we are having the experience of these negative thoughts or these repetitive thoughts or just non-helpful, clutter. We don't want that. Mm-hmm. We would love to be in a, in a beautiful feeling place at all times. Those voices, those thoughts, they want out as much as I want them out. <laughs> they want to be free. They want to retire. Um, and I think that when I say I found out I lost my religion, I just did have, af- you know, the year pennies in a jar came out, the year after I had an extreme crisis of faith. And you, when you really don't believe, you can't talk yourself into believing it. Like, you just don't believe. You could tell me right now, like, you know, apples, way, way more delicious than, you know, like persimmon. And I'd be like, what kind of persimmon? Like, I'm not going. I just don't believe you. Mm -hmm. And I like an apple, but I like a persimmon more. You know, you could tell me the sky is green. And I would be like, "Mm, I'm not going. Like, no matter how much you talk to me about it, And it's the same with yourself. If you really don't believe something fundamentally, you can't talk yourself into it. And I've been very fortunate to have a very strong belief, which allowed me to make pennies in a jar, like which allowed it to even happen. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just pennies in a jar coming out and, commercially doing very terribly although i do want to say at this point i have recouped (laughs) on that project (laughs) score um but it wasn't just that it was a number of life events that i was i didn't trust anything anymore most importantly i didn't trust myself i didn't trust my own judgment and so i couldn't believe in anything and at that point when you have no faith in anything there's really being faithful is impossible. Mm. Faithful to what? Right. Yeah. In uh, Beautiful Prison, but also in Candy. So Beautiful Prison, you talk about how the person you're talking to doesn't really know who you are. And then Candy talks about how people don't really understand who you are. So who are you, who are you talking to in each of these, these tracks? Myself. Yeah. Always talking to myself. Always trying to get myself free. And hopefully one of the things that I've learned from Sean is be vulnerable enough to allow, you know, my self-liberation to be of service and, and a liberating tool 
to others. Um, so yeah, like talking to myself and really going and saying like, yo, you don't know yourself well enough. You listen to Candy and you're like, maybe you don't take good enough care of yourself. Maybe you don't treat yourself like a friend. Um, maybe you're not kind to yourself and you put yourself in situations that aren't fair to you. And I hope I'm interpreting this track right, but Pink Lemonade seems to change you change trusting who yourself or your the partner you're talking to. So when did that transformation happen? Going from candy to pink lemonade. That's a good call because I wrote pink lemonade several years after I wrote candy. Um, I was working in Los Angeles as the head of HR for an ambulance company. I'd moved out to LA and I was like, I'm over music. Which is like, why go to L.A. if you're over music? Uh, it's the worst place to go. Um, but I think getting out there made me really realize, like, uh, I hate this industry. I hate, I don't like it. And I was like, you know what I wanted to do before music? I wanted to be a doctor. Let me take some prereqs. And I was doing good in my prereqs. And I was like, wait, what if I take all these prereqs and find out I hate patient care? So I became an EMT. And on the last day at EMT school, we had our ride along. And I found out that I'd just gotten really soft. Um, I think years of being an artist had just made me really soft. Like I was too, uh, like I still remember the patients that we had that day. I will never forget them. And I was like, I can't walk around with all this all the time. And the experienced EMTs that I was with that day, they were like, oh, you just kind of get numb to it. And I was like, oh, unacceptable. You know, like it's unacceptable for me to become numb to what it is to be human. Right. I don't know my way around Los Angeles and I don't have any experience as an EMT. Let me be a dispatcher. It's a terrible idea. Dispatchers have to know the city like the back of their hand and when you're a dispatcher, you are the supervisor on duty for medical questions. Uh, nice. So it would be good to have some <laughs> medical experience. No, I became a dispatcher at this wonderful company in Los Angeles, and it was trial by fire. Like it was 12 hour shifts, a couple 24 hour shifts. Just being a dispatcher is an extremely stressful, difficult job, and nobody thought I would make it. I didn't know nobody thought I would make it, but they didn't think I would make it. And I just like dug in and it was miserable, but I thrived and I became the head of HR for that company pretty quick, six, seven months. And then I would do all the onboarding, all the compliance, all the payroll. And what it did in a fundamental way is reestablished my faith in myself. Mm. It was like, yo, you are capable. You can do things. Um, no matter how many times you tell yourself, like, the value of your art isn't based on the reception of it or how much it sells or anything like that, it still feels shitty. It feels bad to have a project fail. It's hard to feel in your gut, like, 
no, I'm good at what I do. You're like, then why are you broke working in an ambulance company? I don't understand that. So there's like this does not compute. But working at the ambulance company, I was like, hmm, people rely on me and I'm good at my job mm-hmm. and I come through and it just really set that that foundation for me to begin to trust myself again. I, I absolutely love that you end the project with uh, Red, Black, and Blue. Uh, I love it's just you and a piano, and it really highlights kind of... It almost didn't make it. It highlights you. <laughs> it highlights your voice. It's an incredible track. Thank you. Uh, what is your... Like, what's your absolute favorite thing about the piano? Oh, about the piano? About my other voice? <laughs> about my therapy? About my home it is a home for me uh for many years for many many years probably starting in 2000 what 2003 maybe before then but right in there i became friends with uh rob glasper and you listen to rob play and i'm like for many years i was like i can't play the piano like he's playing a different instrument. Like he plays the piano. What I'm doing is like clunking around. (laughs) But I ultimately realized just how I don't have Aretha Franklin's voice. I still have a voice Mm -hmm. and I can't play like Rob, but I still have a voice through the piano. Um, It's still uh, just a means of expressing myself and sometimes short circuiting my logic, like hacking my own logic. Like, how do you feel? and being able to say things musically that I don't have words to say. Why didn't, why didn't almost make the, the project? The sound quality is very poor. And I love that vocal take so much that every time we would go back in and cut it again, I'd be like, it's just not, it just doesn't hit me the same way as that. Cause that recording was in my living room and, um, yeah, I couldn't recapture that magic and I didn't want to shortchange it. I think that's what makes the, I, I mean, I did notice the difference of sound <laughs> quality, but I think that's also what makes the track for me more incredible because it's like, it's more of a natural presence of your voice versus an in-studio, you know, like, oh, this girl actually, has, you know, this girl has a lot of talent <laughs> and is out singing anyone, that, you know, and it, and it really highlights the highlights your voice. Well, I think when I was learning how to sing in a studio, I was working at the Roots studio and I had nodules growing in my thyroid. They started small, but they ultimately became quite large. I had more than 40 of them in there and had to have my thyroid removed. But while they were growing, I didn't know. And I couldn't sing with power on a regular basis. And I couldn't sing extremely high on a regular basis. And I adopted this. You know, people will tell you, they'll be like, my producers would tell me, not Sam, but my pre-Sam, my producers would tell me, like, that doesn't sound good. Like, why don't you just kind of talk, like, whisper, sing it, like, talk that. And I developed a complex about my voice, like, oh, I can't sing. Like, I can only sing very soft. I can only, you know, like, and you get these engineers and they want the sexiest take, which is like the breathiest take. And I've never been a power singer. 
and I never felt that I could do it. So I was very insecure with my voice and I never understood why I couldn't sing louder or harder or those things. So I think it was really liberating for me to be able to be in my living room and be like, but yes, I, yes, I can, you know? And at that time, I still had, and didn't even know that I had, but I still had so many nodules in my thyroid is before I had my thyroid removed. So from day to day, the size of them would shift. And when they finally took them out, took it out, there was a big thyroid wrapped around my vocal nerve, my superior laryngeal nerve, and um, explained a lot. So I, I love that recording of that song because I know everything else that was going on. And I was just like fighting through so much, just not just like emotionally, intellectually, but like physically, and it still, broke through like yes break free it's awesome new project is a uh, beautiful prison yes uh, nikki jean thank you so much for being in the library with tim Einico. thank you uh thank you so much for taking the time i really appreciate you coming down here and spending it with me wish i heard the
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.